in. It's another edition of the Doyle and Derek podcast here with the Indy Star. I'm your host, Derek Schultz. Thanks so much for joining us. The other person on this show who is known as the star of the program, he's an award-winning columnist for the Indy Star. It's our buddy Greg Doyle, who has a nice knit cap on. That's not the the NBA All-Star Game knit cap, right? That's just a just a regular Adidas knit cap. You know what uh, I'm talking about? I do, yeah. Isn't <laughs> knit cap, is that what our grandparents called these? Don't do we call them skull caps? No. Uh, skull caps, I'm cool with. Um, I, I've heard some people call them toboggans, and toboggan really? to me is sled. Yeah, toboggan to me is the country next to Trinidad. <laughs> well, that works too, I guess. Trinidad and toboggan. Mm-hmm. It's like t- negative twenty degrees outside, so I don't blame you for wearing a skull cap, <laughs> knit cap, toboggan, whatever it is, uh, inside because I just walk the dog, and I'm still kind of thawing out from all of that. But we've got a lot to get to on the show today. Um, I know we usually start Colts, but I actually wanted to start with, you know, the, the biggest Colts story because it's far more than what's happening on the field and the AFC playoff picture and all that stuff that we're going to end up getting to. But, you know, the news yesterday where people noticed that Rigoberto Sanchez wasn't kicking off and they thought to themselves, oh, OK, well, maybe he hurt his toe or maybe he's got a sore hamstring or something like that. Come to find out in in shocking news that Rigoberto Sanchez discovered that he had a a cancerous tumor, which they're now going to have surgery to remove. And Greg, you know this. I mean, you work on stories like this all the time that have to do with sports figures and sports themes, maybe, but have nothing to do with sports. And whenever you drop the C word in there, it's far, far scarier than an ACL or a ruptured patella. Well, it's, it's it's that, and but every time that I write about something like this, it, I'm always just staggered by how how strong these guys are, you know. And because I, I think it's natural for a lot of us to wonder what what would I do if that was me. I I, I know I do. I think about that, and um, to see that to find out that Rigoberto Sanchez punted, knowing he had a cancerous tumor. You know, when the news first came out came out Monday, and so we're thinking, man, you punted yesterday, you knew something was wrong, but you found out today it was cancer. He knew last week, and probably because the Colts, for because of COVID stuff, could not bring in anybody and try out anybody and also get them through protocols. They were going to have to use, you know, uh, your lookalike or or somebody else to punt, and Rigo probably just said, I can do this. And so they, they protected him by not having him kick off. But, I mean, he kicked knowing he had a cancer. And a tumor, and knowing he was going to have surgery on Tuesday, it's just—it's unbelievable. I don't know how these people do this. Yeah, and of course, this franchise, this is nothing new because we went through it um, in the early portion of the 2010s with Chuck Pagano and his leukemia scare, and Chuck Strong, and and all of that. And I really think, Greg, that that was the most—that um, that was a really fun time to be here and to be around the team. I know that that a little bit predated your time here with the Star, but that was just a really kind of a rallying point for the team and for the fan base and all that. And, and I know that things didn't end well with Chuck Pagano, but kind of him going through that personal battle, um, it was, it was, you don't want that to happen obviously to anybody, but it was kind of a rallying cry and it was, uh, it was heartwarming to see what everybody kind of put in to, to go through with him. Um, but with Sanchez, you know, he's such a good player too. I mean, there, there is, it's not the most important aspect, obviously, but there is the football aspect of it. I, I, I guess the Colts are going to do like they did last year with Vinatieri, where you just bring in a couple of punters off the street and try them out and just pick one. I mean, I, what do you do, right? I, we, we never talk about replacing the punter because the punter is always available. Yeah, and I, I have to assume the tryout started last week. I, I don't, I, mean, I just don't know how this stuff works. We're all learning on the fly, and this is probably a question that we should already have answered, but I don't know how it works. 
when you bring in a player, how much, how many days does that player need of negative tests to play? And I think it's three or four days in a row. So I guess they could try the guy out this week. Maybe they didn't try him out last week. But yeah, this is, it's, you know, as if, as if cancer's not enough. Now you got to mix in the COVID part to it also. Yeah. And, and now Rico's got to be careful because, I mean, really careful because he's, I don't know what cancer does to your body. I don't know where he's got it. I don't know what he has. They're being secretive about it and that's fine. But it's just one more layer for him to be careful now because he can't afford to get COVID. Um, not with that. But, the, you know, we, we learned about Chuck a lot during that time and, and we're going to learn and we already have learned some about Sanchez. You know, he, we don't really know our punters very well. Nobody, unless they're Pat McAfee and just have this personality the size of, of Canada. You know, we don't we don't know these guys and uh, punters because they don't get they don't talk to the media very much. And if they do, it's because they had something blocked, probably. But we're <laughs> going to find out about Rigo, and we already are a little bit. And we're going to find out more about just who he is, what makes him tick, and and why he's so popular in that locker room. And I, it's not like there's anybody in there that wouldn't be. They're all they all like each other. Bowden does a good job bringing in good guys, but they really like their punter. And when your punter is really really popular, you know he's a good dude because football players don't, for the most part, don't have a lot of use for kickers. Yeah, and they must respect the fact that he does his job so well, too. I mean, he he's a very, very good punter. I'm, I'm not going to sit here and try to rank all of the NFL punters, but I would assume that Rigo is somewhere in the upper third, so somewhere in the top 10 or 11 of punters in the league. He's been very effective. Um, Indiana is going to be without their QB1 in Michael Penix, an ACL injury, which it's crazy that in 2020 an ACL injury can be a relief now because it, it used to be a career ender for guys or a career threatener. Um Indiana's got a guy in place named Jack Tuttle, who was a heralded recruit, who originally had committed to Utah, I believe, who I know that they're high on. But, man, the dynamic nature of Penix and his athleticism, Greg, it just stinks that this had to happen now with Indiana on the cusp of continuing what's been such a special season for the program thus far. Well, a couple things about this. One is Penix, this is his third year at IU, and it's his third year that's been cut short by a major injury. I, I think this is his second ACL, correct? And I don't know if it's the same leg or not. But I think that's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. he's had two ACLs and then a shoulder. Um, so it's just, you know, kind of heart-wrenching for that guy. And, and because of that, um, because he's gone through this three times, um, and the news broke with Rigo yesterday, like, uh, I mean, eight minutes apart. It was just boom, holy cow, what? And then boom, holy cow, what? And I – debated writing about both of them together like holy cow 10 minutes apart boom boom and just and just couldn't figure out a way to do it you know you you can't cancer just you really can't compare anything to cancer and i was gonna make it clear i'm not comparing them and yet it just wasn't gonna work so i didn't give michael Penix the treatment i was hoping to give him um i'm not the second thing though is i'm not nearly as down on i use future without Penix as, as i might i might be in a lot of situations because um, you are only as good as your quarterback, and he is really good. That that's not my way of saying he's not all that good. So who cares? Now he wasn't good Saturday. I mean he was. I mean he was. He started that game two for fifteen, and he ended it not very well, like six for twenty-one or something. But he started two for fifteen, and of those two, one of them was a free play. Um, the the other team was offsides, and so he just chucked it up there, up for grabs, and the IU guy caught it. Miles Marshall caught it. That was one of his two completions. The other one. The ball was meant for somebody else, was tipped at the line of scrimmage, ricocheted over to Peyton Hendershot, and he grabbed it. So you could, with a straight face, say of his, he was 0 for 13. And the, I mean, he could have been 0 for 15, or anyway, 0 for 14. So it was terrible. However, he's better than that. I don't know what happened to him that day. Jack Tuttle, though, two things. One is he's a four-star guy and apparently fought Ramsey and Penix pretty hard for the starting job two years ago. And losing to those two guys is no shame. Penix is is what he is, and Peyton Ramsey goes Northwestern, goes five and zero this year. 
losing out to those two guys does not mean you stink. It just means there there might have been three great quarterbacks in that room. We'll find out. But also, I use bench and depth and and roster is so good that we saw them. They won a game this weekend without a quarterback doing anything, nothing. Penix didn't do anything. And then Tuttle comes in, goes five for five for about 18 yards because he was all th- they're all one yard passes. They won and won handily, getting nothing from their quarterback. I know Tuttle can give them more than that going forward. So I I don't hate this for IU. I mean I hate it for Penix, but not for IU. That's what kind of strikes me about this season. If you since the Penn State game, because obviously Penn State was skin of their teeth, two point conversion late, one point win. Um, there there have been stress free wins. I mean Indiana is just. I didn't think Indiana played that. They didn't play that well against Maryland at all. And they won that game going away. They didn't play well. They were sloppy as hell against Michigan State. And they won that game easy. 24 donut. I mean, that's a blowout. And they they brought like their C minus game in that game to East Lansing. So that, that's really what's impressed me the most. You know, you can say what you want about Michigan imploding and Penn State not being uh, a vintage Penn State team. And, you know, Maryland stinks and blah, 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 blah. You know, Indiana steamrolling these teams. Yeah, I mean they were they were beating Maryland. Was it twenty seven to three or twenty eight to three? And then Maryland scored yeah. late. And I mean they, window yeah, they, dressing, garbage time. Yeah. And Tom Allen was mad. I mean IU is so good that he's getting greedy. He was upset that they scored. And yeah, I don't think he was upset that Maryland would dare to try to score late. I think he was just his team couldn't honor the ones and twos that that did the damage and, and hold that team without a touchdown. And he's also upset after the game. Like one of the first things he said was. They had three interceptions, and one of them was, I think, Jalen Jalen Williams fumbled it at the end of a long return, and Tom Allen brought that up, upset that they keep fumbling interceptions. That's the second time this year they've done that. They lead the country in picks. Lead the country in picks. And Allen's complaining about the one they fumbled in a game they won by 20, and he's complaining about the touchdown they gave up in a game they won by 20. I mean, that just shows you the bar's high at IU. And Maryland is Maryland. I mean, they're not a powerhouse, but they were 2-1, and one, I think, Playing just a Big Ten schedule, they they weren't zero and three. They that I mean, they're not terrible, and they made it look terrible. Yeah, they had. Uh, I, I want to say they beat Penn State the next week after Indiana beat them, if I'm not mistaken. Maryland did, but I yeah, have I think to go so. back and yeah, I, I have to go back and actually look. Yeah, uh, well, they beat Minnesota and then they beat Penn State. Um, the one so thing that gives one, you pause is Northwestern beat them. Northwestern beat them like 45 to three. So yeah. that, that gives you a little bit of pause. They're not all that good. I'm just saying if they were truly bad, they'd have been one and two row and three and they weren't that. And, and IU just dominated them. So you're, you're right. IU had low stress wins against teams that, that aren't terribly good, but IU's never been terribly good either. And they apparently are right now, which is pretty cool. Greg, you just said Maryland. And, and it just struck me as I'm looking at their schedule, they're two and one going into that game. And I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute, it's after Thanksgiving. Maryland can't be two and one. They've played no. probably like eight games at this point. And then you look at the schedule, canceled, canceled. They only have one game or they have two games left. I mean, this this season everywhere, college basketball with Butler shutting down, college football, we can't, we can't even figure out what the Big Ten title game is going to be because of this virus. And the NFL, it's just, it, last week, what happened to the Broncos was embarrassing. That was embarrassing for the league to have to continue to play when you've got three quarterbacks who can't play, where, where you've got a team petitioning you for their assistant coaches to play quarterback. Like, that's embarrassing. That's like XFL stuff. And it's just full steam ahead. Let's go. We're already this deep in. we got to make that money. Well, that, that is where it is. It, it, it is about the money. And you look at Ohio State, and they, they played uh, four games. They've got two scheduled left. And they're coming off a COVID re- breakout in their own building. And if they don't play – 
either of these next two games. They got to play them both. If they miss either of the next two, they literally don't qualify for the Big Ten title game. Imagine them being 5-0 and or even 4-0 and and getting in the college football playoff. Imagine Ohio State winning the national championship. We look back and time looks back. Ohio State won the national title in 2020 with a 6-0 record because that's what it might be after the win. I mean, it's crazy. But yeah. this year was this year was going to be crazy. It was going to be not the year to get offended about weird things like that. It's just this is not that year. The, the things to get offended by, um, and and we don't know this, and so I, I don't want to say this like I know this, but you know, Ohio State they're they're making noise about playing Saturday, and 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 clearly they want to, but you just wonder how how far are they willing to go to play this game because they're going to win if they if they play they're going to win. I don't even know who they're playing. It doesn't matter. They're going to win. But how far are they willing to go to make sure they qualify for the Big Ten title game? You know, what what will they do? What what wouldn't Ohio State do? They were the school talking about trying to join the SEC or something just to play this year. So you just wonder, you know, what what are, the, what are teams capable of nowadays? And you just sadly we find out there is no bar too low for anybody. Yeah, I know they've got the Michigan schools left, and I'm assuming because Michigan is always the last game that Michigan State's got to be there. They have two left, so Michigan State's got to be the game. But right. Um, you know, that's kind of what I was curious about. There's no way to answer this right now, but let's say hypothetically that Alabama goes undefeated and then Notre Dame beats Clemson a second time, so you've got two spots right there. You've got two more spots, and Ohio State has another COVID con- cancellation. Do you take 5-0 and Ohio State, who isn't a league champion, and then what do you do? You take one of the Pac-12 teams maybe? Do you take Oklahoma? Like, I, I don't even know. You know, forget the Big Ten title game. Uh, the college football playoff to me is going to be a mess too. Yeah, I, I think what would have been nice is in the preseason when when the season was getting in the way. But then again, we've had two preseasons. We've had preseasons for half the country, and then the Big Ten and Pac-10 joined the ball, the ball yeah. game late. It would have been nice to have some clarity from the college football playoff that if you don't qualify for your – if you literally don't play enough games to qualify for your league championship game, you can't qualify for this either. Yeah. Or you can. I mean, whatever. Either way, it just would be nice if we kind of knew the answer. We don't know. And, and I guess it really doesn't matter. That That's just in advance. It would be nice to know. But – when they come out with their final four teams on the day they come out with those four, December 19th, whatever that is, if Ohio State's in there at 5-0, and oh, they will say, we don't care, you know, that they didn't qualify. Mm-hmm. They, they're clearly one of the best four. Or if Ohio State's 5-0 and oh and they're not in, they're going to say, we don't care how good they are. You couldn't even play five. So we will find out. This Again, this year is just a – it's amazing they're even going to play it. It's amazing they're going to – we apparently are going to finish it. We're going to limp to the finish line. That's not me complaining. You know, I've complained a lot about COVID and how dare they do this and how dare they do that. And now that I see it unfolding, I, I I don't really fault anything that's happened yet. I don't fault – I mean, I think it's unfolding as well as it can, and I don't think college teams are are causing the, the – or even really contributing a whole lot to the spread that we're seeing around the country. I don't think sports is the problem. I think they're doing it as well as they can, and I'm okay with it all. It's just kind of just well, – not kind of. It's amazing to watch it unfold the way it is. Yeah, no question. Uh, while we're on the topic of college football, a team that will not qualify for the playoff or the Big Ten title game is Purdue – Three weeks ago, we thought, hey, they just got Wisconsin game canceled and they've got Minnesota and Rutger and all these teams that they're going to be (laughs) probably able to beat. And here they sit now at at two and three, three straight losses. And, you know, Jeff Brom is a guy that I kind of I think everybody did. uh, I did, too, fell in love with as his offense and the exciting nature that we saw very early from Purdue football. And then, of course, into the second year with the Tyler Trent game which is now known as their big win over Ohio State and and everything, all the emotion that came with that. And, you know, Jeff Brom signs this big deal after a courtship from Louisville and Purdue is 6-11 and since Jeff Brom started getting paid $6 million. And 
I went through my mentions. I don't know about you, Greg, but I was responding to a lot of tweets on Saturday with Purdue fans, you know, being really, really upset with, with what's happening here. And, you know, what are you going to do? You've got the big contract. There's nothing that they can do about it. You better hope that he's the guy. But uh, are you surprised that this has taken such a turn? Because it, it looked like they were on this upward trajectory after two years. And now you, know, you say what you want about the recruiting and the facilities and all of that um, on field, they've regressed. Yeah, I'm very, very surprised. Um, that Minnesota game, you'd like to think what happened against Rutgers wasn't a hangover from having that game stolen from them at Minnesota. Because they played, they played Northwestern competitively. Northwestern's really good. Um, they should have beat Minnesota, but then Rutgers just kind of – that's the game you look at and you go, wow, I, I, can't, I can't excuse Minnesota anymore. I mean, I, I, it sucks what happened to them, but if you can lose Rutgers, I just can't give you a lot of credit. It's, it is hard to believe that's where we are right now with Purdue – especially with the recruiting, especially with Rondell Moore is playing this year now. They lost to Rutgers with Rondell Moore. Um, now, they, yeah. their quarterback situation has been a train wreck. I mean, they have kind of quietly, because Purdue doesn't get the attention IU gets, we all know that, but they've gone through quarterback after quarterback after quarterback for the last year and a half. Or they've gone back and forth because of injuries and whatnot. So, but Brom gets it done. He's the right guy. Is this a good season? No. No, it's not. Are we surprised that they're 6-11, and 11, whatever that record is, since that moment? Yeah, I mean – you can't sugarcoat any of that. But the bottom line is, if you're Purdue, do you want to go in the open market and try and get better than Jeff Brom? Or do you want to hope that he is what you think he is? Yeah. And, and and I'm not asked, saying that like because Purdue's going to think about it. They're not even going to think about it. I guess I'm talking about Purdue fans. Purdue fans, would you rather Purdue think about the impossible and buy out Brom and try to get someone better than him? Because I just don't think you can, and I don't mean that in a backhand compliment. I think Brom's good. I just Sometimes things happen a certain way, but I think he's really good. I'll have to look at the contract details, but let's even say, Greg, hypothetically, that you wanted to fire him this year with what you would owe him. You wouldn't be able to put together anything close to $6 million for your next hire. You probably wouldn't be able to afford $3 million for your next hire. With During this COVID thing, you you can't afford to fire him. I mean, you, you, yeah. you can't. And again, to be very clear, he, nor should they want to, but you just can't um, because everybody's losing money. People, teams are big teams. Big schools are cutting sports because they don't have the money. And unless you've got a booster who just says, listen, I'm so sick of this coach. I'm going to give you $10 million to buy him out. Unless that person shows up, it's not going to happen. And it's kind of similar to what's going on at IU, um, in, in the, sort of, in that Tom Allen's buyout. Zach Osman tweeted this out yesterday, and I asked him to clarify that because, like, are you serious, Zach? Is that, is that the real number? He said to buy out Tom Allen this year, not to fire him. They're not, they're not firing him. But if Tom Allen wants to go somewhere else, if somebody tries to hire Tom Allen, his buyout is like eighteen million. Eighteen million. You what's Whoa. going on? short of Texas <laughs> and Texas might be needing to coach, but short of Texas, oh my god, uh, maybe Michigan, <laughs> maybe Florida. What school could possibly have, uh, nobody can? Yeah. And if you're million. that yeah, and if you're that good, if you're Texas, you're not hiring Tom Allen. As good as he is, he's not going to Texas. Now he might get looked at by a, a school like Tennessee. Or a school, whatever. There, there are schools at Florida State. There are schools that are, are not Texas that could look at Tom Allen. But at eighteen five million, no, they can't. So, and I don't think he'd leave anyway. I think much like Brom a couple years ago with Louisville, I didn't think the time was right. We all thought Brom would stay, and he did. I, I feel the same way about Allen. I don't think he'd leave anyway. But I think his contract makes it impossible, multiplied by COVID. Jeez, and that was, if I'm not mistaken, Fred Glass was still the AD when that extension was signed, right? Because he didn't stop being the AD until the completion of last football season. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. It's only been about six months. Okay, so I, I'm, I'm just trying going. to, yeah, I'm just trying to figure out who to give credit to. So um, you got to give Glass a lot of credit. 
I mean, that, that is an obscene number, 18. And I, I don't know, maybe I'm speaking out of school, Greg. I don't know what everybody's contract buyout is in the country, but 18 and a half million seems like just a ridiculous amount of money for, for, for Indiana's program. Like I would expect, you know, Brian Kelly to have an 18 and a half million dollar buyout at Notre Dame or Nick Saban at Alabama, but not Tom Allen at IU. I've never heard a number that big, which is why when, when Osman tweeted it out, I, I, I publicly, I kind of tweeted it publicly <laughs> for the world to see, like, I, I don't read so good. Or, did you mean to write that with eight figure, eight figure buyout? Did you mean yeah. that? And he wrote back, wow. yeah, that's his reading of it. And, and Zach is, he's good at a lot of things. And one of them is understanding the nuts and bolts and the, the contract deals and the money. He, he's not, if Zach says it, then I believe it. He, he would know. So that's, just, so good news. IU fans. Even if Tom Allen wanted to leave, and I don't think he would, he can't. So both schools are stuck with their coaches, and I think for both schools, that's good news. I realize Purdue is a different boat right now, but I still think you guys both have the right guy. Perfect transition because you mentioned Texas, and we're talking about Indiana, and we're taping this right now on Tuesday afternoon, and we're just a few minutes away from tip-off between IU and Texas college basketball. And what a performance yesterday from Indiana against, look, I, I'm not going to sit here and say Providence is Villanova or anything like that, but that's a, that's a team that people regard highly as potentially an NCAA tournament team. I think they were a one-point Ken Palm favorite, uh, and Indiana boat raced them. I mean, they dominated that game. Yeah, and Providence, you know, early in the year, you don't know what anybody is. So it's really hard to figure out, what does this win mean? I, I don't know, but I... What I do know is that in the Big East preseason poll, not by the media, but by the coaches, by people who would know, they picked Providence third in the Big East out of 11, I think. And Butler's like eighth or ninth. Sorry, no, no offense to Butler, but that's how good Providence is on paper coming in. Third best team in the Big East, which means you're a slam dunk tournament team. I mean, yeah. if you're top three in the Big East, you're, you know, that's a top five, six seed probably. So if that's what they are, IU crushed them crushed him and Trace Jackson Davis wasn't efficient at all he was like five of 15 he had like 15 and seven but five of 15 he's a lot better than that Trey Galloway who's an exciting and will be productive player didn't do much played a lot of minutes didn't do much Jerome Hunter had four fouls in about three minutes didn't do much that's three of their five starters um and they still as you say boat raced Providence really impressive and obviously race Thompson you know, that one, yeah. sometimes guys score a lot of points and just because the ball bounces their way and they got nine layups and they hit them all. And good, like Deron Davis has had some games where he scored not that much, but he's had some games where he scored. And you look at it like, yeah, well, he had a bunch of layups. This one, I mean, this was that, sure, he did that, but he was getting offensive rebounds to create that. A and B, he was catching and shooting 18 footers and 12 footers and 15 footers. I mean, he's a different player. Race Thompson, I always thought, was a high motor, high rebound guy, high energy guy. That's what he is. He'll do the dirty work. And if he gives you seven points and six rebounds, you call that a win. I mean, to get 23 and 13 against a per physical Providence team and to make it look like that's no fluke and to look at his body and what he's done to his body yeah. and how Archie Miller said he deserved this because no one's changed their game in a one-off season more than Trace. Trace uh, Race Thompson. Race. I said Trace. Like, yeah. I can't think of his last name. Let's get his first name in Trace, dumbass. Yeah, yeah Bill Walton was going Race and Trace. Anyway. So, yeah, Ray Thompson is – I'm not saying he's a 23-12 guy because he wasn't against Tennessee Tech, but but he's apparently a lot better than just a motor guy. Yeah, it, it's a nice roster. You know, Trace Jackson Davis is the A product there, and, and they've also got Al Durham for his, what, 15th season of eligibility. <laughs> Feels like Al Durham played with, like, Dane Fife and Jared Jeffries. But um, <laughs> yeah. I, I like the mix of experience that they have. Thompson's been in the program for a long time. Finnessy, miraculously, is a junior now. And then you've got the youngsters coming along with Galloway and Franklin and – and Christian Lander, um, 
the problem, Greg, is that the Big Ten is just so loaded, right? I mean, it's just naturally, I think this is the type of year where, you know, you look at, I think Indiana was picked to finish eighth or something like that in the Big Ten, and normally that would be disappointing, but then you look at the rest of the Big Ten and you thought to yourself, well, who are you going to put Indiana in front of? Because they're just, it's just that good and that deep. Yeah, and, and one team that you might put them in front of, they've, they've kind of been linked together as kind of somewhere right in the middle of the, of the pack is Purdue. And uh, Purdue's played Oakland by the time a lot of folks listen to this. That game will have been over. So it's possible I could be embarrassed by what I'm about to say, but um, I'm watching that game for a lot of reasons. I'll be writing about it, and I'm hoping Zach Eady, and I don't even yeah. know if that's how you pronounce his name. You know, it's one of those it names. Is, I've, yep. Okay, I've, I've read it a bunch. I've never said it out loud. Um, I'm hoping that he does – similar to what he did the other night, which is he's, he had something like 18 points in 14 minutes. And I mean, he's 7'4 and just looks so big. And I realize 7'4 is big, but he just looks different out there. Um, I'm not sure he's only 7'4. I, I mean, he just looks – anyway, he's dominant. Purdue did it again. Like Isaac Haas was big. This guy could eat Isaac Haas for breakfast. It's a ridiculous how big he is and, and looks pretty skilled too. Yeah, there are guys that when they're that big, look, I, I remember Haas very early on was just kind of discombobulated. You know what I mean? He was glacial in the way that he moved. He was like a 6'5 person trapped in a 7'2 frame. And then as time went on, um, Haas got a lot better, I thought, footwork-wise and all of that. Edie, to me, just looks incredibly polished for being, what is he, 19 year, 18, 19 years old and being that huge, and, and there's like a fluidity to his motion, if that makes sense. I always feel creepy when we talk about, like, you know, these kids, and, and we're really trying to, you know, laser focus in on what they're doing. But um, I feel like he's comfortable being in that body. You know what I mean? Whereas with big men, sometimes, especially when they're young like that, they're not yet comfortable with being that large. If you want to feel creepy about analyzing a kid's body, if that's what you're talking about, is – <laughs> Imagine being me and, and maybe even read my Race Thompson story. I, I had to kind of tone it down a few times because part of the story was how good he is, yes, but he legitimately changed his body. I mean, that's part of the story, too, is how hard he worked this offseason. And ESPN, late in the game, kept putting up before and after pictures from IU's strength and conditioning coach, Cliff Marshall. His Twitter feed, he does this. And, and Marshall put up some before and after photos of Race Thompson from two years ago and, and then this year. And they're two different players. It's almost like that Tom Brady photo from draft day in 1999 where he just looks pathetic. And he's not chiseled now, but he's come a long way. Ray Thompson looked like Tom Brady. He looked kind of just soft and like you're obviously 6'8", 220, and you don't really care very much about your body, but you're good. So good good for you. But now he looks like – literally he looks like a UFC light heavyweight because they walk around about 225, 230. They cut down to 205. I mean, he's ripped – I mean, he didn't put a little bit of work into his body. He put a lot of work into it and apparently worked on his game too because he's shooting jumpers. So you got to be happy for a guy like Race Thompson, especially considering the concussion he suffered two years ago was so debilitating. You know, we, we see concussions all the time. The only concussion I can think of that was that took more out of a player than what – because Race was out for like months and he couldn't even yeah. leave his room. I mean, it was bad, bad. The only player I can think of that I know is worse is when the Colts had that running back, and I forget his name, four or five years ago. Uh, I mean, he's a little white guy from like Maine or something. Um, I forget his name, but he had a couple cushions in his career. Like, and, and he couldn't even like, he couldn't move in the off season. He was just paralyzed, not paralyzed, but he just, I remember, you, you remember they had a running back that had, Zach Kiefer wrote a couple great stories about the kid. Man, no, I, I'm spacing on that for some reason. 
I thought you were going to go into like the, the, you know, the olden Colts days with like Jeff Harrod or people like that from, you know, from the eighties and nineties who really got messed up by concussions because Tyler Varga, baby. Back out there. Tyler oh, Varga. Okay. I know that name. Yeah. Tyler okay. Varga. Yeah. I, 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 what I did is I Googled Colts running back concussion and Zach Kiefer. And uh, there it is. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, Ty, th- that was – anyway, those are the two worst I've ever heard of. And you know what? It's possible that races, if he was a football player, he couldn't play anymore. I, mean, I don't know. I don't want to talk about that. I have no idea. But those are bad ones. And race, for, to overcome that and to become the player he's become, pretty exciting. And, and you think when IU gets back Joey Brunk, because he's apparently really close to playing, they're just being very careful because he's big and it's a back and you don't want to rush that. But he's, he's close. And they're going to have three really good big men. And Jordan Geronimo is just nuts as an athlete. He and Jerome Hunter's no slouch. So they got five guys, six six or bigger, that can play. I like it. Yeah, I'm bullish on both of those teams. I think when uh, you know with Eric Hunter and the injury situation at Purdue, once they have all the bolts in the gun, I think they're going to be good too. And if, if Edie is anything as good as what he's glimpsed so far, then um, they're going to be a problem because I think Travion Williams is an all conference type player. Um, he's going to be really, really good. Um, we're 30 minutes into this thing, Greg, and we haven't mentioned the Colts. Not that there's really much to say. They got thumped. I, I wanted to get your reaction to this, though, because um, I think I agree with this. I just don't agree all the way with it. Um, your colleague, Jim Aiello, at the Indy Star, basically gave the Colts a pass for that game because they were ridiculously shorthanded. And more importantly, they were without their most important guys. You know, uh, DeForest Buckner, uh, Anthony Costanza, who left at the first quarter, is not going to miss three weeks. Ryan Kelly. Uh, Philip Rivers was banged up. No Danico Autry, who's been great for them, and is their sack leader on the defensive line. I, I can never give a team a full pass for giving up 45 points, for nearly getting 50 burgered at home. But I kind of shrugged that game off against Tennessee because I, I just don't think that it was um, – with this COVID thing, sometimes you, you luck out, sometimes you catch a break, and sometimes the break goes against you. And I, I just felt like that was kind of a bad luck timing and circumstance for them in Tennessee. There's room to do that for sure. Um there's room. And yeah, I did not, I went the other way, but then when I I read Aiello's story, I read it in the paper the next morning and he laid out like, uh, you pick their name, the best seven or eight Colts and all but two of them didn't play. And the two that did play are damn it. Are, are, have been on the injury list rivers and Quentin Nelson. Uh, it's pretty, I mean, pretty shocking. Um, however, Tennessee had, um, their best, their starting left tackle and his replacement. They both missed the game. And two of their offensive linemen played, but were questionable coming into it. So they're banged up terribly. Jadavian Clowney didn't play. Their best cornerback didn't play. Another guy or two didn't play. So Tennessee fans got a hold of stories up written up here that talked about the Colts injuries. And they were saying, you know, listen, we're, we're as bad off as they are. And, and, and it's debatable. I, I have no idea who's worse off. But like I say, there's room to talk about like what you're saying. That it, it's just a kind of a fluky, you know, the Colts will, at full strength. That's, that's not who they are, and we're going to see them at full strength soon, and we're going to move forward. And that's all true. Problem is, Tennessee has the tiebreaker now, and we'll going into the, the playoffs. And the Colts right now are the last team in the playoffs, the last team, and a couple teams right behind them, including Oakland, which just totally laid against the Falcons. Oakland has a tiebreaker against the Colts. So if, if a couple teams. You have to call them Vegas now. Sorry, I hate that. You're right. Can I, call <laughs> I did this Vegas? with the Rams for years. Can I call them Vega like you do with Rutgers and leave the S off? Vega? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, I like Vega. that. Although Rutgers Rutger's cuter than Vega. <laughs> anyway, uh, the problem the Colts, the, their playoffs, Popes took a really big shot in that game. Really big shot. Yeah. And they were embarrassed. 
and I, I wrote what I wrote, and and uh, I, I said basically nothing about this game was good, including the media. And I was going to write that no matter what. I mean, no matter what. We could have asked the 10 best questions of all time, and I was going to write that even the media sucked. We all sucked. I was just going to kind of have some fun with how angry I was. But then it turns out most of the questions were about the injuries, and uh, it does kind of look like I'm calling out local reporters for asking bad questions. And that's that's how it looks. I get it. It's not it's not where my heart was, but anyway, that that's what happened. Yeah, I I don't think it was like it's not out of the question that the Colts make the playoffs now. They still control their own destiny and all that. I, I think what it was, Greg, was they missed an opportunity to basically put themselves in the playoff because yes. it, it would have been really hard for them to not win the not make the playoffs had they won that game against Tennessee. And and while it's great that they swept the NFC North. They're going to lose every tiebreaker that's out there with all of these AFC teams if it comes to that, because they're three and four in the conference. Right. You know, it's great. That's great that they're seven and four, but you you would much rather trade a Detroit win for the Jacksonville game because that that's a division game and a conference game. So the Colts, you know, you want to win as many games as you can. I get it, but if you had your way mathematically with the numbers, you would much rather have sh- shaken out differently than how it's shaken out here. Uh, the good news is, is that the Raiders have taken a bit of a free fall. I was shocked by them getting sandblasted by Atlanta the way that they did. So, you know, Cleveland's not going away. If you're going to give one of the wild cards to Cleveland, I think the team that you worry about most is Baltimore because Baltimore has the head-to-head tiebreaker and, you know, pound for pound. I think Baltimore's a better team than the Colts are, even fully healthy. So, you know, that's kind of where I, it's it's just a, it's a messy race. And then what do you do with the Dolphins and – uh, I don't even want to think about, though, if this team misses the playoffs, somebody asked me this on Twitter, does anything happen with Frank Reich or with Chris Ballard? Oh, now that you're pausing so I can go from there. Boy, no, no. And I don't mean to be Mr. Good Times and, you know, Jeff Brom's staying and and Tom Allen can't leave and the Colts aren't going to, you know, I don't mean to be that. But, um, but no, I, you know, I, nothing's in a vacuum. We've all watched – this franchise and what is what it has done under Ballard and Reich and how much you believe in it. And that feeling still is there, at least for me. Um, I, I get that some fans are frustrated and they apparently don't believe in Reich. And I see some things are ridiculous. Reich's been terrible for two years and I, I can't, I can't go there. No. I can't do it. Um, so no, I, I don't think there's any chance. I mean, I think there's no chance. I say that. I mean, if the Colts lose their, their last four or five games of the year, okay. All bets are off. You can't do that. But, if the season unfolds the way we think it is, even if they're out of the playoffs, if they're eight and eight, nine and seven out of the playoffs, whatever they are, there's no chance there's a shakeup. Zero. I don't think there's any chance that Chris Ballard goes anywhere. I think there's a scenario if the bottom really fell out on this season and the Colts finished seven and nine or eight and eight or something like that. I, I think there would be. I don't think it's going to happen. I think there would be a chance that Frank Reich would be on the chopping block. No, I do. No, you don't I, think I, I just, zero. Zero. I and not just because I think he's that he's deserving. I to love stay. Frank Reich. I'm right. just saying. I know, right? But I'm not saying that just because I don't think that's right. Therefore, there's no chance. No, I. I and look, look, me and Jim Mercy don't. We don't. We're not pals. You know, we don't talk regularly. I, I don't know what he thinks. I don't know this, but I just. I. I don't. I, there's just no chance. Zero chance. I'll say it again. Zero chance. So. And, and the people that want that, it's, it's kind of like what I was saying about the Jeff Brom deal. We know what we have in Reich, and and and, and we know also that the quarterback situation still isn't ideal. Still is not ideal. Still, even with River. And, and granted, Reich you know, wanted him here. Reich pounded the table to get him here, I'm sure. So that's on Reich a little bit, if, that Rivers isn't ideal. But you just don't make a change. You just don't do it. You just, I, 
I, I'll stop talking because all I want to do is say over and over and over, that'll never happen. Reich is like Braun to me. Uh, I think he's the guy. I still believe in Reich. I think he's a smart guy. I don't think that he forgot how to coach. But at the end of the day, it's it's a results-oriented business. And if the results on the field, you know, don't come, I, I can kind of see it. But, you know, this is all speculation. I, I Even if the bottom fell out, Greg, I don't think that Bauer and Reich are going anywhere. I, I still think that that's going to be your – Jim Irsay has never shown himself to be a reactionary owner. You don't have to be best friends with him to, to realize that. You know what I mean? So I think yeah. there are some owners in the league that would knee-jerk and, and fire everybody. I don't think he's going to do that. Yeah, and this is not a lifetime appointment. I'm not saying Frank Reich is a Supreme Court justice. He will stay here until he's 75 years old and is good and ready to quit. I don't mean that. You know, if if they're let's say they're nine and seven, eight and eight this year out of the playoffs, and then next year seven and nine, okay, maybe 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 so. I can listen to it a year from now, I guess. Just kind of with Brom, I can listen to if they're bad or mediocre for another maybe two years. At some point, you got to say, man, it's just not working. I don't know why, but it's just not. Brom, I think, is at least two years away from that. Reich's got to be at least one year away from that. But I can see the day coming, but we're not there yet. I want to give a shout-out to one of your colleagues who is being honored today by our great city. It is Vic Reichert Day in Indianapolis. And um, a guy that I think, what, another week for, for Vic, something like that. Time is coming today. to an end at the star. Oh, it's, today. It's, so today's his last day. Okay. Um, great guy who's done so much great work in our city and – um, I know sports are an important part of the cultural aspect of, of Indianapolis, but I, I even respect our news people and news gatherers even more because of the information that they're able to get to the public and the role that they play. And, and Vic played, played an important role in this city for many, many years. Yeah, the city of Indianapolis, whether that was, uh, I guess, was Hogs and his people, declared this, some proclamation, something something like Vic Rickert Day or give him a key to the city. The city did something from today because today's his last day, Tuesday. And uh, he is a special, special guy, nice guy. The, the newsroom loves him and respects him, and he he knows his stuff. And yeah, guys like that are are, are few and far between. And and the way the business is going, they're they're going and they're not coming back. You know, we're not. This business does not encourage Vic Rickards of the world to become Vic Rickards. It's not. It's hard to be a thirty-year veteran in this business. It just kind of at some point you get laid off or you decide the hell with this and you go do something else. So. He's uh, the, he's one of the last of a. I'm not sure it's a dying breed, but it's a it's a breed that is on the extinction list, and uh, he's a good one. We've lost a lot of good people, and he's you know at the top of that list. Yeah, well, best in in all of that to his departure for Vic for sure. Uh, check out Greg's work at Eastar.com, the Eastar app, uh, IU pounding PC. Check out the Purdue column, which is coming from the Oakland game, which probably already happened while you're listening to this, and is probably already up right now on the website. Uh, the Rego salute, everything else, um, subscribe, like, IndyStar.com and the IndyStar app. And we'll be back with more Doyle and Derek coming up next week. Thanks so much, Greg. We'll do it again soon. All right, Derek. Sounds good. Bye.